As it is Thanksgiving and many of you will be around family this week, I wanted to share with you, actually no, I wanted to bless you with eight Thanksgiving jokes that you can tell around the dinner table this year. Now, eight jokes that will guarantee that you are not the one doing the dishes. And you won't be doing the dishes because the family will probably kick you out of the house. <laughs> so it's a win-win. Amen. Well, here we go. Eight of them. Number one, what do you call a turkey the day after Thanksgiving? If you know the answer, you just shout it out. You call it lucky. Lucky. What, does, what sound does a turkey's phone make? Wing, wing, wing. <laughs> Told you they were good. Number three, what was the turkey thankful for on Thanksgiving? Vegetarians. Good guesses, though. Number four, what do you call a run- <laughs> this one's good. What do you call a running turkey? Fast food. Amen. Why did the turkey cross the road? He wanted people to think he was a chicken. Number six. What? <laughs> What, oh, these are, I I like them. What what did the turkey say to the computer? Google, Google. That one is worth telling, I'm telling you right now. Number seven, what happened to the turkey that got into a fight? He got the stuffing knocked out of him. Amen. Last one, what's blue and covered in feathers? Maybe. Maybe. A turkey holding its breath. There you go. Amen. Do you want me to tell the, I, some of you I see writing them down. You want me to say them again so you can, you can get those down? Hey, listen, if you don't like the jokes around here, just send an email to complaints at firstpresbyterianchurch.com and uh, it's, <laughs> somebody will get right on that. I'm uh, just having some fun. Well, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Let's get started. I really feel like God has given me an important word to share with you today. I'm not going to speak for a long time. Please don't say amen to that. But I'm going to speak a little bit shorter than I typically do today. We're in the middle of a series called Movement 2040, but I felt like we really needed to pause that series today uh, and, and, and share something else with you that God has really laid on my heart. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 23 and verse 33. Luke chapter 23 and verse 33. If you don't have your Bible um, with you today, you can follow along up on the screens. Well, probably that screen, maybe not that one today. But (laughs) anyway, Luke chapter 23 and verse 33, here's what it says. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. Talking about Jesus, they nailed Jesus to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. Verse 36, the soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. Verse 39, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. 
But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. I'm calling this message this morning the tale of two thieves. Father, for the next few moments, I ask that you would give me the mind of Christ as I attempt to deliver this message that you've laid upon my heart. God, I'm believing today that that, that there are people in here that are going to relate to this message on a deep level. And I'm believing today, God, that it's through the power of your word that you are going to transform and change their life as they sit in this very room. God, I cannot do that. Only you can. So, Father, I do ask for your anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story told, and I'm sure you've probably heard it, of two twin boys. These two twin boys, they lived in the exact same household. They had the same parents. They had the same life experiences. But their lives turned out quite differently from one another. These two boys had a father that was an alcoholic. And one of the boys grew up and he followed in the footsteps of his father. He followed the example of his father. He became an alcoholic just like his dad, and he threw his life away. And when he was asked why he did it, when he was asked why he chose this path, the path of destruction, he replied, because I watched my father. The second young man, growing up in the same home, the same experiences, the same father, he never once once touched alcohol in his life, not one time. He built a decent life for himself. He did fairly well. And when he asked why he did it, why he chose a different path, he replied, because I watched my father. Here are two men, the exact same circumstances, the exact same father, and yet the outcome of their life is extraordinarily different. Why is that? Because they both had a different perspective of the very same man. Stories like this are actually pretty common and we actually see them throughout scripture. Take for instance the story of Cain and Abel. They're the first two sons of Adam. They're raised in the same home. They're raised with the same parents under the same rules. But we see one of them choosing a good path and the other choosing an evil path of murder. Their perspective was different. Abraham and Lot, two relatives, one gives everything he has to follow the call of God and the other does just the opposite and goes his own way. Their perspective was different. David and Saul, the first two kings of Israel, one chose the path of obedience to God, the other did not. Again, a different perspective. Then there's Peter and Judas, two disciples of, uh, two disciples of Jesus, they both betrayed Jesus, but one of them sought forgiveness, and the other takes his life. Their perspective was different. I want to tell you this morning that your perspective on things, your perspective on life carries great power. Here in Luke chapter 23 that we read just a few moments ago, we see the tale of two thieves. To set this scene, Jesus is being led away to the place where he will be crucified. Remember, he did nothing wrong. He was innocent. 
The crucifixion was the harshest punishment handed down by the Romans, and it was only given to the most ruthless criminals. Jesus would be crucified at the place they called Calvary. This was a specific place outside of the walls of Jerusalem. Calvary simply means the place of the skull, and this was the place where the Romans would crucify their criminals. Although the Romans did not invent the crucifixion, they perfected it as a way to torture and to give capital punishment. Um, And it was designed to produce a slow death with maximum pain and suffering. The combination of the scourging and the crucifixion made the crucifixion, the death on the cross, extremely brutal because first the victim's back was torn open from the scourging, from the whipping, from the beating. Then the clotting blood was ripped open again when the clothes were tore off their back before the crucifixion. Then the victim would be thrown to the ground and their hands would be fixed upon the crossbeam and the wounds on their back would be again torn open and contaminated with dirt. Painful. Then as the individual hung on the cross, which with each breath, the painful wounds on the back would scrape against the rough wood of the beam and it would become further aggravated. When they drove the nails through the wrists, it would sever the large median nerve, which would produce excruciating bolts of pain in both arms and it would often often give the victim a claw-like grip as they hung upon the cross. Once they hung on the cross to get a good breath, the victim had to push up against their feet, which were also nailed to the cross, and they would have to flex their elbows, pulling away from the shoulders. Putting the weight on the body of the feet would produce a searing pain, and flexing the elbows would twist the hands on the nails, so lifting the body just to breathe was extremely painful and exhausting. Death from crucifixion would come from many sources, which would include acute shock from blood loss, being too exhausted to breathe any longer, dehydration, stress-induced heart attack, or congestive heart failure, cardiac rupture were few of them. If the victim would not die quickly enough, the legs were broken, and then the victim would soon be unable to breathe. The pain of this crucifixion was so bad that we actually get our English word excruciating, meaning excruciating pain, meaning unbearable pain from the Roman word that means out of the cross. And it's difficult for you and I to understand how brutal this punishment was. As people would be taken to the crucifixion site to be killed, it was customary that a great multitude of people would follow the condemned criminal on their way to the crucifixion scene. In front of the criminal, a Roman guard would lead the way with a sign that carried the man's name and the man's crime, and he would call out the name and the crime along the way. On top of that, they would generally take the longest route so as many people as possible could see how the Romans treated their enemies. They were making a statement with these crucifixions and they were trying to instill fear within the people. Now as Jesus is being led to the cross, we read that two convicted criminals were being led to the crucifixion site along with him. If you read the same account in Matthew and Mark, you will see that they don't refer to these these men as criminals. They actually use a more specific word. Matthew and Mark call these men robbers. 
And if you look up the word robber in the original Greek language, you will see that it is translated from the word lestis, and it means rebel or revolutionary. It's the same word used to describe Barabbas, who was part of a revolution that involved killing innocent people. So these are not just your run-of-the-mill petty thieves. These men were more than likely a part of Barabbas' gang, and they likely shared in the violence and was a part, and now they are being executed on Roman crosses for their crimes against humanity. So these weren't just a couple guys that made a couple of bad decisions. These were men. They were being crucified along Jesus. And as they're being crucified along with Jesus, these violent criminals are getting the stiffest penalty that they can possibly get, that Rome could give. And it's important to understand that. They, they were rotten to the cores, you might say. And as these three men hung on their cross, Matthew and Mark record the two criminals, both of them, they begin to taunt Jesus. They begin to hurl insults at Jesus. Here are three men in excruciating pain with no hope. You have Jesus and you have two other men. Barring a miracle, they're all going to die on this cross. These two criminals choose to spend their last hours on this earth in bitterness and anger. Not much has changed from this moment in history 2,000 years ago because many of us today, we carry feelings of bitterness and anger and hatred, not only towards other people, but we carry it towards God. And I believe some of you in here this morning might be able to relate to, to these two men on the cross, and many of us carry these feelings to our death. Maybe you feel like God has let you down. Maybe you're in here this morning and you have experienced tremendous pain in this life and you sit back and wonder, how could a loving God allow me to go through this pain? And you curse God. Or maybe another person has let you down. Maybe that person that let you down claims to be a Christian. And now you carry bitterness and you carry anger and you have said, if that's what following Jesus is all about, I want no part of it. The truth is we're all in the same boat as these two thieves. We may not be hanging on a cross, so to speak, but the Bible tells us that we're all ultimately under the same sentence, the sentence of death and eternal separation from God. Now, you may have hours to live, you may have days to live, you may have years to live, nobody knows, but ultimately we are all going to be facing the same sentence. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. This is a reference to the very first sin in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, and they became sinners. And because of that sin, all the rest of humanity also became sinners and under God's judgment. Romans 5.18 says this, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. We are all under the same condemnation, and we carry the same death sentence as those thieves on the cross, and it's because of sin. 
And you might not think that's fair, that you would share in the condemnation of something that Adam did, that a man did long before you and I ever existed on the face of this planet. But the fact of the matter is, we agree with Adam's choice over and over every time we sin. Every time we do something contrary to the word of God, when we do that, we participate in the rebellion against God, and the penalty for that is death. It's eternal separation from God. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. But it doesn't stop there. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So both of these men hanging on the cross, they are under God's condemnation, just like we all are. They both begin to mock him, but then something happens. One of them changes. Verse 39 again, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. The, thief, the one thief, he continues to scoff at Jesus. The word scoffed in the Greek actually means blasphemed. This man was blaspheming God. To blaspheme is to speak in a way that shows a lack of respect for God or for the things of God. Also, and so this man speaks to Jesus in a mocking kind of way. And he demanded, if you are who you really say you are, save yourself and save us. This example right here shows us the depth of corruption within the human heart. This man is in his dying hours upon the cross for a crime that he committed. His choice. He was guilty. But here he is demanding that God is who he says he is for God to prove himself by saving him from the consequences of his own actions. And we still do this today. We get ourselves into a difficult situation. And because of the choices that we made, we, there's consequences that come from our choices because of our sin. And then we, we get ourselves into this mess and we cry out to God and we say, if you are who you really say you are, then get me out of this mess. And this person is not interested in a relationship with God. They're not interested in leaving behind their rebellion against God. They simply want God to get them out of this tight spot. And this happens to many people when they go to jail. They call it the jailhouse conversion. They get arrested, and I've seen this more times than I want to admit. They get arrested, and they come to God, not because they want a relationship with Him. They come to God hoping that God will grant them a get-out-of-jail-free card. And if we're honest with ourselves, many of us do. We just want a genie in a bottle who does what we ask when we ask. We don't want a Lord. We don't want to surrender ourselves to God. So the first man goes to his death mocking Jesus. But, the, but something happened inside of the second man. Something clicks inside of him. We see the second man begin to change. Two men who are very similar in many ways. Both are criminals sentenced to die on the Roman cross. Both are hanging right next to Jesus. But both see the man they call Christ right in front of them. But the outcome of these two men's lives would be much different. Why? 
because they had a different perspective of the very same man. And it was this perspective that made all of the difference. As this man hangs on the cross, he goes from mocking the Son of God to defending the Son of God. And in his dying words, he says this in verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man was a sinner. This man had done horrible things to other people. This man had turned his back on God and he even mocked him. But in this one moment, his perspective of who Jesus is changes. In one moment, his hard heart is broken and he cries out to God for forgiveness as he hangs on that cross. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It was a very simple prayer. This was perhaps the very first prayer that the man ever prayed in his life, but it was from his heart. And it was with that one simple prayer from the mouth of a hardened criminal that caught the attention of God. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. I am a thief. I am a of this lonely hill What have I done? No, I don't remember And no one knows just how I feel And I know that my time it's coming soon It's been so long Oh, such a long time Since I've lived with peace and rest And now I am here At my destination I guess things work for the best And I know that my time is coming soon oh, Who is this man, or this man beside me that they Deserve I receive 
Amen. Wasn't that good? She's amazing, I tell you what. But here on this cross was a man that wasn't looking for a get-out-of-jail-free card. He wasn't looking for Jesus to get him out of the jam that he put himself in. He was looking for a Savior. Remember me, Jesus. I surrender to you. Two men, same story, same situation, different outcomes because their perspective of the Savior was different. Sam, can I go ahead and have you come on up? I believe we have some people in here today that you need a change in your perspective. And that's why you're here today. That's why God brought you into this place. You might think that you've come in for a Thanksgiving meal, but your being here today is no accident. God loves you, and He loves you so much that He wanted to bring you into this place to give you a different perspective of who He is. Some of you are like that thief. You feel like your sin is too great. You ask, how could God ever forgive me for what I've done? But God forgave the thief. God forgave the robber. Others of you have mocked God. You have bashed the things of God. You have blasphemed the things of God. So did this thief and God forgave him. Others of you have turned your back on God because you have this perspective of God of what you have seen with other quote-unquote Christians. And you sit back and you watch other Christians post on social media how much they love God. And then their next post is filled with hatred towards another or a certain people group. And you think, if that's what following Jesus is all about, I want nothing to do with it. I want you to know that that's not what following Jesus is all about. Just because somebody posts a little Bible verse and talks the talk does not mean that they have surrendered their life to the King. And don't let actions of other people determine your perspective of God. Because this is life and death. This is eternity. 
I don't care if the person has a fish sticker on their bumper and a little bobblehead of Jesus on their dash. You know what a true believer of Jesus looks like? Watch this. 1 John chapter 2 tells us. It says that we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims I know God, if someone claims I am a Christian, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. Not my words, that's the word of God. Verse 5, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. That's the proof. This is how we know we are living in him. Verse 6, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. There it is. Those that say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Please, don't let the actions of other people keep you from experiencing the forgiving power of the living God. I want you to change your perspective and see God for who He truly is. He is love. He took those nails and He suffered on that cross so that you could be free. And there's nothing that you could ever do in this world that would make Him turn His back on you. Romans tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say that after we cleaned up our act, he died for us. It says, while we were sinners. God loves you, and maybe today is the day that your perspective of who he is changes. And like the thief on the cross, maybe today is the day you surrender your life to God. Maybe today is the day you finally accept his forgiveness for your sin. Could I have you bow your heads and close your eyes? Before we leave this place today, I just want you to listen to me. Before we leave this place today, I want to give you an opportunity to get your life right with God. Some of you come in here this morning and maybe you came in for a coat, maybe you came in for a bag of groceries, maybe you came in for the, for the meal, but God had other plans. He wanted you to come into this place because he wanted you to see who he really is and how much he really loves you and some of us have been tainted by what we have seen from quote unquote Christians of the world God's nothing like that he loves you he died on the cross for you and I'm convinced that if you or I we were the only ones alive he would have still went to the cross because that's how much he loves us so if that's you if you're in here today and you say pastor you know what I I did come into this place and I had this wrong perspective of God, but today I, I, I'm seeing him in a different light and I understand he loves me and I need that forgiveness. I need to be forgiven. Some of you come into this place and you feel like there's something missing inside of you and you've tried to fill that emptiness with the things that the world offers. You've tried to fill it with relationships. You've tried to fill it with money. You've tried to fill it with work. And you still, you wake up the next day and you still feel that emptiness. I'm going to tell you, it, that'll always give you temporary fulfillment, but it never lasts. It always goes away. Jesus said, come to me if you are thirsty and you will never thirst again. He is the only one that can fill that emptiness inside of you. And so with your head bowed and your eyes closed before we leave this place today, I'm going to give you a chance to get your life right with God. Some of you need God in your life and you need Him in your life bad. Do not throw away this opportunity. 
So what I'm going to do is, if that's you, I want to pray for you today before we leave. And just so I know who I'm praying for, I'm going to say a prayer from the stage. And just so I know who I'm praying for, what I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, if you're in here, you say, Pastor, I need God in my life. I need forgiveness. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand into the air because I want to see who I'm praying for today. This is just between you and God. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. On the count of three, I want to see your hand because I want to know who I'm praying with today. One, two, three. Right now, just put them up. Put them up. Put them up. Put them. Yes, they're going up all over the place. Yes, over on the sides in the center here. Thank you, God. There's probably 20, 25 hands up right now. Thank you, God. Probably more. Wow. You could put your hands down. Now, those of you that just lifted your hand, I want to see if you mean business. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to pray this prayer, but I'm going to pray it slowly. And I want you to pray it. I want you to repeat it out loud after me. I want to see if you mean business. Those of you that didn't lift your hand, I encourage you to say it with them to encourage them today. The Word of God says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our heart that He rose from the dead, we will be saved. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to lead you in a prayer to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior today. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you lifted your hand, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I confess I am a sinner. I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And today I ask you to forgive me. I ask you, Jesus, to cleanse me. I ask you, Jesus, to set me free from my sin. You are my Lord, my God, and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for setting me free. Today, I surrender my life to you. And from this day on, I am yours, and you are mine. In Jesus' name.